Good evening, Demon fans, and welcome back to the Demon Land podcast. My name is Andy, and for the second year in a row, the Demons are the last undefeated team standing, a feat that this club has not achieved since the 1955 and 56 seasons. You all know what happened in those years. Back to back, baby. But we're only taking it one week at a time. Joining me tonight, long-time Demon Lander George. Good evening, George. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, Binman. Good evening to everyone else listening out there in Demon Land. Well, we're 4-0. We've dispatched three of last year's finalists and now facing a fourth one this week. Uh, So we're all here to find out how we did it and what are our prospects for the coming week. They were finalists. Uh, I thought they were bottom four teams by (laughs) the look of this year's ladder. Um, also joining us tonight, B-Man. Good evening, B-Man. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, George. Good evening, Demon Landers. Um, I'm very pleased I bought shares in Frio. They're looking good and um, I'm pleased I was selling my stock in Hawks because uh, they're dropping a little bit after a touch-up from the Saints. So, yeah, all's looking well in the, in the football prediction stakes. Well, George, uh, your, your bombers are back up. My blues are down. <laughs> Topsy turvy. I've, uh, I've sold my bonner, my bomber shares as well. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'll hold on my Carlton ones. I won't sell just yet. Um, well, let's talk about our uh, our game. Um, uh, I must concede that I, I went into this match a, a little bit gun shy, and uh, sure, I had seen Port's past performances this season, and I w- was aware of their injuries to some key players, but. I still believe that there was no way a team that was touted as a premiership contender and a top four certainty by some could slip to uh, zero and four so easily. But boy, was I wrong. They were so much worse than I could have even hoped for before we get into the game. Um, Initially, I was extremely disappointed that we didn't bury them. We certainly had some opportunities going forward and you know, but for some handball chains that fell down and the forward 50 connections uh, weren't quite clicking, then that partly account- accounted for our lower scoreline. And then you add to that the three junk time goals for the power once once we, let's face it, we'd put the cue in the rack and the final margin certainly flattered them and didn't reflect the pummeling that we had dished out, which included inflicting on Port their first ever goalless first half of football since the entry into the AFL in 1997 and that's 570 odd matches and isn't it fantastic to be on the good side of an embarrassing record uh, for once. We mentioned last week uh, that there really isn't many more embarrassing records that we're associated with. There are a couple but we'll get to that uh, at some point Uh, but you know and there is that new thread on Demon Land chronicling the records to be proud of that we are quietly or not so quietly um, uh, adding to. And that goalless half a footy that we were a part of is certainly a record for us to be proud of. Include And that also, that those records that we're proud of include last week uh, with uh, making the Bombers 0-3 and three for the first time in um, in in 57 years. And it's, it's really nice to be the ones inflicting the pain uh, for once. Um, 
but you know what? I quickly recovered uh, from that early disappointment uh, of not beating up uh, one a cellar dweller because I remembered, Bin Man, your wise words. Um, you were always quick to point out that you don't need to spend all your petrol tickets early in the season. Uh, you want to strangle your opposition and starve them of scoring opportunities, which our miserly defence, strengthened by the inclusion of Jake Lever, did. And you want to keep something in the tank for the rest of the season, which we did too. And I think it's really important to remember that we're coming off two six-day breaks, two interstate games in three weeks. And one of those was that energy-sapping game in the heat and humidity of the Gold Coast a few weeks ago. And if you look at our average winning margin last season, with the exception of the Gold Coast match, uh, the average winning margin was 24.5 points, um, adding the Gold Coast game of that 90 point, 98 point win, it's 29 points. And then our finals average winning margin was 63 points. So we're sort of tracking of what we were last year. Um, I, I saw a lot of people online, whether it was on Demonland or social media, who had that similar reaction to my initial concern about our win. But what people need to realise is that, you know, we're pretty much in cruise control uh, at the moment, uh, it doesn't seem like we've got out of first gear, maybe second, a bit of third here and there, uh, but we're getting the job done and sure there's room for improvement and, and sure perhaps our opposition hasn't lived up to the hype, as we mentioned earlier, Bulldogs, Essendon and now Port, but as they say, you can only beat who you play and as a result of where we finished last season, we've been given a harder draw and if by circumstances it turns out that it becomes an easier draw because teams have dropped off, then that really isn't our problem. And in respect to that, it might be the case that um, it, it, it might be the case that what we thought would have been an easy opponent might turn out to be a more challenging one later down the track. In any event, that's we can only focus on what we can control and we'll play and aim to beat anyone, anytime, anywhere. And and before I move on to you guys, I have a clip from David King on Jared Wheatley's program. Uh, each Monday, the two of them do an hour-long segment um, uh, called, uh, I think it's the Monday Means Test. And here's what David King had to say about the D's only going at about 70% at the moment uh, so that the rest of the competition better look out. Be very afraid, Jared. Melbourne are going at about 70% of last year. And they're already proving they're 50% better than the rest of the competition. They're four and zero, and they're going half rap power. And, and people say, oh, that, that's ridiculous. But if you don't look at the winning and the losing and you just look at the numbers, which is what, what we do, we try to look at the trends of the game. So last year they were not just the best team in the comp without the footy, they were best by some margin back to number two. They were the fourth best with the footy, and, and they're the two things that I mainly track. And we always know their, their contest stuff is unbelievable because of the talent that they've got and the, the, the way, the brutality in which they play with Oliver and Petrarca and Lever being able to win the ball back and those guys in the forward half, you know, they just win contests. We talk about the two rucks a lot, but all over the ground they just win contests. If you look at them this year, so, so the rankings, that I'll just give you last year's rankings just to give you an idea, okay? So the, four, the core four mm-hmm. that Horny and I track, they were seven with the footy, one, five, and one, without the footy clearance, post-clearance. So seven, one, five, one. But the two ones were by a huge margin. This year right now they're going 12, four, 12, one. <laughs> so they, they, they're nowhere near – everyone's talking about the finished product of the other teams, the, the chasing pack. 
the demons are nowhere near, and a lot of it's to do with talent that's out at the moment. So they're having to move different players to different areas. Brayshaw's having to go back. He's their, he's their wingman, right? Um, and they're getting full toed odds out of out of marquee players at marquee moments. So they're putting away teams on, on not on talent. It's a bit harsh to say that their defensive stuff is still incredibly strong, but it's not at the levels of last year. It, it really isn't. So I look at them and I say, okay, their defensive fifty is still the best in the comp, and their ability to win the ball back is still the best in the comp. Intercepts through that mid zone between the arcs. Outside of that, they are a very average football team by their standards and by the competition standards. So the scope for improvement at Melbourne is still greater than the scope for improvement at other clubs in this season. In this season, given the talent you've got and the system you've got, the system you've started with. Now, we know that things change after six to eight weeks for every team. They all, you know, tinker with the way they're playing, have their finger on the pulse with the trends of the competition and they make alterations. But right now, they're going at 70% and they're clearly clearly better than any other team in the competition. Yeah. So be very afraid, Jared. They felt coming into the season they felt to me like a 19-3 or a 22 team. And the question is can anybody lift their level to catch them? It's a preliminary final question. That they're Richmond 2018 at the moment. They're going to run the comp and we'll see you in the prelims. Yeah. See what it looks like then. Well, a lot can go wrong. Yeah. So we're talking about, we're not crystal balling, we're not locking them in for anything. We're just saying in terms of the way they play and and what we've seen only six months ago, there's massive scope. It was a great luxury to have, isn't it? So you're four and zero, game clear, top of the table, and you've got so much to work on. And, and they, they don't care what the rest of the competition are doing. They'll be in there worrying about themselves today. Hey, we've done this better. We've done that better. You need to do this. You need to do that. And, and they're, they're the harshest judgments on their own standards. But what a luxury to have. I, I just think that um, I think that this, this two-ruck system, the, the dual rucks are getting all the conversation, and it's probably masking a few of the, the actual issues at the Ds. And it sounds stupid to say that sort of stuff, but that's how excited you should be if you're a D's fan. I can't work out whether he's uh, having a go at us or, or selling yeah. how great we are. Um, I would have liked to have heard what he thought some of our issues were. Um. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, uh, look, I think he's right in terms of um, um, I'm not sure about going at Rap and I'm not sure of him framing things like the issues um, because – you know, I think that what's interesting is that we're clearly um, prepared to experiments, not quite the right word, but they've been uber focused this um, year on um, their ability to stop opposition scoring. And if you listen to Goody, as uh, George said last week, Goody's getting more and more revealing in his presses all the time. And so it really behoves people to listen to what he's saying because um, he's drilling down on that defensive stuff at the moment. Um, I, I think we are travelling, but I mean, it's really for context. We've beaten the team that we played off in the, the Premiership last year. We've beaten a, the team they beat in a prelim uh, and Essendon, of course, made the finals last year. Now, 
all three clubs are struggling to to one degree or another. But on paper, if you look at that beginning of the season, you know, and strip away where you think um, Melbourne are in relation to them, that's a pretty tough draw. Uh, it opens up from here on, you know, for the next five or six rounds, we've got a nice draw. So, you know, we could realistically be in almost go to the buy in the same situation, sort of 10-1, 9-2 sort of thing as we did last year. And um, it's interesting his use of the stats because, I mean, he, he frustrates me because his analysis is often just the, the numbers that he's given. But, um, you know, he talks about our defence is nowhere near it was last year and it's a complete nonsense. Um, Watson 11's been posting um, and updating on the, the um, tactics and game um, strategy thread um, on Demonland, the percentage of goals conceded from inside 50s, which he makes the excellent point that it's a really, really good measure of um, success over the, over the last... 10 years that it's been, you know, basically the teams up the top have finished one to four. At the moment, we're top of that. 36% scores conceded in five, inside 50. Only 18% of, um, when teams go inside 50, they score a goal. I mean, it's remarkable. Um, so we're number one despite having, you know, half of our um, best um, six, best seven defenders out. Um, we're still the best defensive side. So I'm not quite sure his point about that. I agree with his general thing that we're not going at full power yet. We don't need to. Um, and, you know, it's a long season. It's, a, it's about getting up on an upward scale. Um, interestingly, on that um, measure, um, uh, and one of the reasons I, I'm sort of bullish on Frio from the beginning, um, uh, you know, from last season, is their defensive system's really strong. So they're second. They're equal, in fact, equal top with us, 36% or so um, percentage scores conceded inside 50. Um, down the bottom of that ladder is Essendon, uh, and they can't sort out their defensive structure. Uh, at all but so yeah whilst I agree with some of his points there um, I think he's well off in terms of sort of implying we're not well particularly around you know we're not yet at our full strength um, defensively we haven't got our full strength team in but we're as that's about what we were last year I think we finished the season maybe it was even 36% last year George anything to add for that? No, I think there was a fair summation, and and you've got to take David King with a <laughs> grain a grain of salt at the best of, best of times. But um, his main point is is very valid, and I think it was um, shown up particularly in this game against Port. Um, we were always in control, and and the fact that um, we only kicked ten goals of the game and still won by five. Uh, and even, even that was after we conceded three junk time goals effectively. That's just incredible and shows the the uh, state of our defensive systems at the moment. You know, this is a preliminary finalist from last year and they've managed to get two goals effectively in three in nine-tenths of the game. You know, it's just an incredible effort. Um, and especially when you consider that... Um, if you said Petrarca and Oliver would have had mid-20s possessions for the game and we'd kick 10 goals in total, you'd think that there'd be something wrong with the conditions. Um, um, but that I don't think that was the case. But uh, it's um, what really struck me again in this game was how poorly Port were coached. Um, they just kept trying to switch the ball and they were going nowhere. If they'd done done their homework on the Melbourne side, they would have and should have known that you just cannot get the ball across the ground and switch like you used to do two, three, four years ago. 
Um, and they kept on trying it and kept in running, kept on running into Langdon, kept on running into Brayshaw, kept on running into A and B down the other side who were there before their players got the ball. And you could just hear the frustration of the Port supporters knowing that their players and team and coach and uh, side were just going nowhere in this game. It's not surprising um, how few goals they kicked for the game. They just had no system to operate with. And our defensive systems were absolutely first class. But uh, And I'll touch on this in our um, um, sort of positives. But that was conscious. What, the, what they did was conscious. They made that decision. And uh, as I said, I'll sort of talk about it um, greater detail later but they um, I'm not sure if you saw the presser George but they came in the um, um, into that game with the the, the clear d- tactical decision to do exactly that to play keepings off um, and so as I said I'll, I'll talk about a bit later about the decision to do so I agree that was poor coaching but that was they, what you're talking about that switching was deliberate and what was brilliant about Melbourne and it just shows where we're at we were just happy for them to do that mm-hmm. we just let we just sat let them do that they came in with a plan um, in the um, presser afterwards uh, Hinkley was saying he was really happy that was what they were wanted they wanted the score to be they were happy with zero zero essentially and Melbourne's ability to put on um, you know surge and kick goals in a short space of time we just threw a spanner in that thing oh and so you know I'll talk a bit about later about that decision to do but we've got opposition teams spooked um, and that discussion though there was last I'm not sure if you've so, so first crack it was good last night because David King wasn't on he had COVID um, <laughs> isolation but it was um, uh, uh, Montagna and um uh, the XD's player, what's his name? The Hawks player. Jordan Lewis. Uh, Jordan Lewis, and that was great. And they were talking exactly about that, that decision to do that at this point in the season. What was that about? Um, you know, I, I, it was a really fascinating game from that perspective. It was just how cool and calm we were. I mean, it was great for me because I backed Melbourne to win in the 25 to 42 point range. That so was perfect, those late goals. <laughs> it just worked out. It just worked out fantastic. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was a fascinating game. And um, this is a talk about that decision, but our ability to, you know, to control the tempo in that game um, or to not blink, just, to, you know, that was so where we're at at the moment. Um, and to be able to, to turn on a switch, take advantage, kick four or five goals, and then we just held it from that point on. It was, yeah, it was a, a uber impressive performance. Uh, we have a caller on the line. Uh, uh, good evening, caller. Um, who am I talking to? Good evening, Michael Hintz here. Good evening, gentlemen. Hi, Michael. Yeah, what do you Michael. What, what Hello. Do you, uh, hi, Michael. Can you hear me? Um, Yes, I can. All right, go go ahead. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Thank go you. ahead. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> just wanted to talk about one particular player who seems to go under the radar, and I don't mind this at all, and that would be one James Jordan. I thought he put in one of the best games he's played to date. That And the other thing is we're not reliant on just Petrarca and Oliver having standout games all the time. Um, <clears throat> those two factors... Um, uh, I think are worth uh, comment, uh, particularly James Jordan, who doesn't get uh, some comment on uh, some other players, but uh, uh, not uh, Jordan, to my way of thinking. He slipped beneath the radar, and that's fine. I'm happy happy about that. Uh, what's your view, gentlemen? So, uh, Bim Man was going to talk about uh, James Jordan in his positives, but we'll take it, may as well take it now. Cause oh, you're I'm not on your thunder, Bim Man. Apologies. No, no, we'll talk about it now. Does it, that doesn't matter. It's, it's perfect uh, perfect timing. Uh, Bim Man, go ahead. 
Well, you've, you have, Michael, you've stolen my thunder on two fronts. One of them is, um, who I'm going to call him JJJ now, the Triple J, um, James Jr. Um, Jordan. But he, he was terrific, wasn't he? And I thought that was his best game for the club. He's such a clever ball user. He's such a – and his ability to sort of position himself. He, for me, he looks like a old-school sort of suburban footballer. Um, and I think he's he's two, three years away from his best, to be honest, because I, he, I think he's got the sort of physique that he's going to take that length of time to, to build into the sort of strength, for instance, that um, um, Sparrow has. Um, so the... Um, I think he's yeah he's he was terrific and I think were like high twenties mid twenties 20, twenty seven twenty seven possessions and used them super well um, you know the fact that he's essentially he played wing and um, uh, Gus went back and uh, the ability to be able to have Gus back there has been enabled by Jordan yeah I, I totally agree I think he's a, a he's a sort of player who will be 250 game um, and he's, you know, I'm not sure if you heard Uze, the interview we did with Adam Uze, but he was saying what a great you know, sort of club person he is off the ground, he's quiet and unassuming, but he gets on with the business, so fantastic sort of character to have at the club. Yes, I, did, I did hear that interview. Mm. Yeah, mm. I agree. Now, your other um, point that, that was... Sorry, Michael, go Yep. Yeah, no, no, the other point, no, uh, go on, bin man, I'm, I'm listening, sorry. Yep. So the other point about Petrarca and um, um, Oliver, I was actually going to make that on the back of what David King said because you're exactly right. That's where, you know, we've put them on ice almost. Like we won that game, neither of them got out of a trot. They didn't bother really. And that's where if, you know, on David King's sort of estimate, we're going at 70%. We're not going at 70% because we're not playing particularly well. We're going 70% because we're allowing the James Jordan to step up and um, take centre stage. And, you know, the last couple of games, Petrarca's throttled back and, um, you know, allowed the other players to get on with it. I mean, Oliver didn't look like he was sort of really running at full power. Partly that was the way Port set up that game in that first half. We didn't need to because we were just watching them kick it around. But yeah, you're 100% right. And I don't think it's because either player are not in brilliant form. It's just that I, I think they're, it's almost a conscious thing. And, and I, I wonder whether that's reflected in their game time. I'm not sure, actually. Um, but yeah, I think they're both good points. Anything else, Michael? And, and also the little one, one percenters that... Um, Players like Petrarca do off the ball by creating contests. Um, uh, they don't have to be spectacular things, but the little things that often go unnoticed, they're still doing a lot of those, uh, even at uh, half a canter. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And and also both of their, them, their leadership, um, you know, really impressive on-field leaders uh, they've both become, Petrarca in particular. Yes. Uh- and well, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, a pleasure, Michael. Thank you for calling. Um, and w- also, just on on uh, Petrarca, uh, I don't think he he's frustrated by sort of having to take a back seat and perhaps um, you know forego Brownlow, but you know or whatever. Is not being selfish in that. It's a t- and it's it's the whole team is like that. It's sort of yeah. everyone is there to play a role, and if they have to take a step back or not be in the spotlight and just uh, and sort of add to the add to the team in in different ways, then they're all prepared to sort of take that hit. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, from either of you, anything else general before we move on to tactical stuff? George, was there anything else in the in just generally you wanted no, to, I think, to bring I up? I think we'll cover cover it all off uh, as yeah. we progress through the program. Be man, anything else general uh, before we get into your uh, tactical analysis? No, no. The, the, I think that Michael's points are really good. One about uh, both those uh, um, about. Um, yeah, Jordan and also Oliver and Petrarca not starring. That was uh, the point I was going to make about King's comments. But So, yeah, no, all good. All right, so Big Man this week, you wanted to talk about playing the percentages and our method of transition compared to other teams, so take it away. Yeah, just uh, really briefly, the, um, um, you know, the way Goody sort of thinks about the game and, and I think a really key underpinning of our game is is percentages and by that I mean um, really minimizing you know on that you hear all the time in the commentary you know risk reward and if you listen to the commentators they're often encouraging teams to go take higher risk they'll, they'll say things like to get back in the game this this team X has got to take more risks they've got to go through the corridor they've got to um, you know they've got to look to switch they've got to be aggressive whereas so much of the way we play is about the percentages and we uh, absolutely scaled on the on the um, almost the sort of lion stage of his coaching when um, Ross Lyon that is so you know, we don't we don't take risks so we go down the, the the boundary line we don't use the corridor we rarely switch we, we're predictable we use the left side as we're kicking um, you know uh, with that when the way that television sets up you know everything's sort of really premised on um, playing the percentages and not taking risks so I've got the clip there that um, um, I'm wanting you to play Andy's from Sanderson so eventually anyone's not listened to it um he does a, a slot a 20 minute slot or so on thursdays on um uh, waitly show and it's the best tactical um sort of thing on radio or television i've heard he's, he's fantastic um now this clip is um the context for this clip is he's talking about um percentages but the context is um that he's actually talking about how to stop an opposition's team's momentum um and it was last week so it was on the back of all of those crazy momentum swings in the previous rounds game um and how the question is how would he go about stopping them if he was coaching um however his explanation about how to go do do that um i think was a brilliant he could have been talking about how melbourne play footy uh, and under goody and, and goody's coaching philosophy so again the context is about how to stop an opposition's team's momentum um but i think it's um, completely applicable to goody's philosophy on coaching and the way we play our game um so yeah it's a couple of minutes but it's really interesting um little bit of uh stuff from brenton sanderson I, I i added some uh, a little bit to the beginning and the end because i wasn't sure um because the times you gave me was sort of <laughs> mid sort of thing so i sort of put on either side of it but here we go the key element, though, for that, for me, is turnovers in the midfield. So the reason that these tall forwards have um, the influence that they do is because we are, as a team, we are creating turnovers or we're, we're giving up turnovers in a part of the ground where the opposition can go back at us with our defense not set. So it's it's a tricky one. What you have to do is ensure that um, – or the the way you fix it is you have to slow the game down. So as soon as a side gets two or three or four, I mean, in, in the old days before six six six, the reset at centre bounce, you would just flood all your numbers back yep. behind the yep. ball, um, and it was a, it was a it was a good rule change. Um, it keeps the game interesting for longer, but we're still seeing these these fantastic run ons by by sides. So 
what you need to do is you need to change your offense. If you're having turnovers in the middle part of the ground and the opposition are going back at you at a defense that's not set and you're getting these these power forwards um, in matchups in time and space uh, without anyone around them, you need to ensure that your offense changes. You can't take as many risks with the footy. So what we typically would say to our players, if you feel that run on coming, um, take the speed out of the game. Um, our offense has to change. We have to go wider and we have to go slower. Now, the reason you do that, because if the opposition does get the ball, it's in a part of the ground which you're not open going back. Um, so if, you, if you're exiting your D50 wide and slow, your opposition, oh, sorry, your, your defense has got time to get set. But if, if there is a turnover, the opposition can, can come back at you, but it's through the skinny part of the ground. It's density. It's much harder for them to get those players like Hawkins or Cameron or King um, or Himmelberg in time and space. It's Now, the challenge with that, and I know what your listeners would be thinking is, well, how are we going to score then? Well, what, what you're trying to do, almost like tug of war, is just get it back again to an even playing field. Take the speed out of the game. Take the opposition's confidence away. Um, don't give them that, those opportunities to, um, to come back at you in, in time and space. So are we talking a sequence of sort of two minutes or three minutes or four minutes? Are we talking kick mark for sort of 10 in a row anywhere yeah. on the field? To... Yeah. You're just trying to take the energy out of the opposition because confidence is, is, a, is a real thing. It's, a, it's something that the opposition, when they get it, you don't know how it's happening, but it's almost like a flow. It's like a – it's just everything feels good. Everything's flowing really comfortably. So you have to take the speed out of the game. You have to look for opportunities to get stoppage, which if you do go wide, you can get more boundary throw-ins if the ball gets punched out of bounds or um, or if there's more density there, you obviously get ball-ups. But you just want to take that that speed out, get the tempo back, make it a bit of a tug-of-war, get it back to sort of 0-0 zero, zero for a bit. Um, got a chance to reset, but you just take that flow, you take that energy out of the um, – out of the opposition just for that block, you reset. Um, you can if if there's interchanges that need to be made, you get your better players on back on the ground, whatever it is. Um, but that's definitely one trigger that you can pull. Now that's thanks, Andy. So that that was talking about how to stop a team who get gets a run on. That was the as I say the context for that, and it was on the back of all of those wild swings. But when I heard it, I thought, well, that actually exactly describes how Melbourne play footy. Um, and it's what I've been talking about, that percentages going along the boundary line. If it goes over, we um, um, we get a stoppage, either a ball up or a throw in. Uh, we kick to a contest. We back ourselves in to win post clearances. Um, we back ourselves in to win the stoppages. Um, we, we kick down the line to um, confidence with Jackson and Gorn and T-Mac pushing up and Brown pushing up. We win so many of our contests ahead of the ball. We, we The number one team in um, creating turnovers and we create them there um, and then we surge we are so so you know in the old days that'd be risk averse but we play the percentages and um, you know so the way he described that is how you stop teams all of that's applicable to our whole game style we control tempos of matches we look to frustrate the opposition in in, in their tempo that they want to play we play the game on our terms um, and in particular we don't allow them to do exactly what he said which is we don't give them turnovers in the middle of the ground so we so rarely get caught out one-on-one with our defenders 
Um, so rarely do we not have our goalkeeper or our last man in defence back. Um, so rarely, a player like Hawkins just cuts oppositions apart when they get bounced on the rebound. And he did that again against Brisbane. Brisbane have got a, a fantastic defence, but time and time again, they lost that game because they couldn't stop that ball getting back in quickly before their defence um, got set up. Melbourne don't allow that. Um, Geelong can't score against us in the same way. Um, when they did last year in round 23, it was exactly on the back of that. We didn't have time to to set up that defensive thing because of the, they were getting them out of the centre. That's where they got us. So that, that, that description, I think, perfectly sums up our game uh, and why it's, we've got a huge advantage on the opposition because the other teams coming at us, they're all still in the process of trying to get all of those systems right. So you look at a team like Carlton, Great, no worries. But they have their defensive system isn't there yet. Um, and the, the best example is Collingwood. Collingwood, love the way they're playing footy, but if you look at that table that I was talking about before from um, um, uh, Watson 11 on scores conceded inside 50, um, Collingwood are mid-table. So they're, um, they're 45% of times they're getting scored on. Now, that's early in their evolution as a footy team. They've got miles to go in terms of, uh, of working all of that stuff out. Um, but too many times they, they turn it over in the midfield and that's where they get hurt. Um, and they lost that game. I'm sure if you saw the West Coast Collingwood game, they lost it purely because they lost control of the tempo of that. They should have just they should have done what Melbourne do. They should have gone to the boundary line. They should have done exactly what Brenton Sanderson was just um, just talking about. Take the heat out of the game. Um, and Melbourne do that when we're twenty five points up, and we also do it when we're down. So we in the third quarter of the grand final, we took the heat out of the game despite being three goals down. Um, and we played the percentages. We didn't look to take risks to go through the centre. In the Essendon game, when Essendon decided to up the ante to get the game flowing again, um, they took risks and we hurt them, and that's when the game finished for them, basically. Um, so, yeah, it's just a thing to watch, I think, um, how we do it, but it's, it's, it's quite different to other teams. We're the only team who basically just goes down the line. And maybe the other teams can't because they don't have Max Corn and they don't have the way our ability to do it to win the contest. But it's a clear tactical evolution that was cemented last year, but it began in 2020 during that year. And just the final comment was that tempo stuff just shows how long it takes because 2019 was a write-off in many ways. But that year, what we really practised was tempo footy. Um, and, you know, that's three full seasons ago or two and a half seasons. So, um, you know, those teams who are chasing us have got a long way to put all of those systems together. But I, I, I love how um, we're focused on um, percentages. All right, let's let's uh, let's move on. Uh, I like that. Um each week, uh, we each take either a team or an individual positive and, or an, and an area for improvement. Uh, this week, my positive was our esteemed captain, uh, King Max, uh, not to be confused with the media's darling and false deity, uh, Max King. Our King Max was back. The return of the King, if you're a Tolkien fan. Uh, Max had uh, 25 possession. He's taken in an incredible 12 marks. He was marking everything, everything everywhere. He had the uh, the glue on the hands. Uh, six clearances, 33 hitouts. Um, a nice goal. Probably should have had two if he could have connected the ball to his left foot. Um, a fantastic match by the skipper and good to see him back uh, at his best. George? Yeah, it was a fantastic effort, you know, 
uh, it was 12 marks, I think, for yeah, the 12. game. Yeah, that was miles ahead of anyone else. And, um, yeah, Max back to his best. And then to have J- uh, Jackson sort of as backup, you know, um, when um, David King was talking about other teams being very, very afraid, that's the combination. When that combination is working, that, that really cuts people to pieces. It certainly was helped by Port having uh, Lysette and basically having to... Um, Take Todd Marshall out of the goal out of the goal square, um, but uh, we took full advantage of it and may it, may it continue. Uh, but, uh, but Adam Uze in our interview, and if you haven't uh, had a chance to listen to that, uh, wherever you get uh, wherever you're listening to that podcast, this podcast now you'll be able to find that interview. So uh, take a listen. It's Forty great minutes uh, with a with a great person at our club. Um, he did mention that, uh, and I hadn't noticed it yet, that uh, Jackson had started taking, you know, the 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 first uh, the first centre bounce of games and quarters. And I noticed it this week. He was doing that, so it's good to see uh, Jackson starting to um, take that number one role. I mean, <laughs> it won't be Max won't relinquish it yet, but uh, yeah, it's he's he's getting more minutes, so that's a good thing. Um, Bin man, anything on Max? Oh, he was awesome, wasn't he? he? He was fantastic and he got 10 coaches' votes, I saw. Yep. Uh, mm. Totally well-deserved. And um, I, I, I just – he was clunking him so so beautifully. It was like he was playing a different sport. The other thing about Jackson was great. He took a couple of defensive intercept marks as well. And, mm. you know, he, he starts clunking him up forward and taking his share of intercept marks down back and – you know he's uh, it's scary for the opposition, as George suggests. But yeah, that he was awesome, wasn't he? And there was a few quick questions about his form coming into the game. Max, he, he certainly answered them in no uncertain terms, didn't he? And he did. Um, uh, George, you uh, wanted to talk about our def- you know our defensive structures being solidified with the return of Jake Lever. Yeah, um, Jake came back this week, and and while he didn't worry the statistician all that much. I think Jake's presence is is um, probably not recognised all, all that much amongst uh, amongst people in the sense that um, he's almost like the general of the back line. He controls where people are going to and, and the defensive structures. And all of a sudden, uh, Stephen May has an absolute blinder this week. And that's because uh, Lever's come back in. He's putting the people in the right positions. And you do have to take notice that Max Gorn was interviewed after the game um, and asked about the return of Lever. And he said, oh, Stephen may be um, uh, quite pleased about it because he spent all his time trying to get Joel Smith to stand in the right place um, before that. So um, <clears throat> I think that gives a fairly good indication of what Lever's doing down the back. And, when you look at the defensive structures, you know, once again, um, they scored two goals basically to three quarters of nine-tenths of the game. Um, that means your defence is working very, very well. It, it was helped out certainly by Dixon and Marshall effectively not being there. Um, we held them to zero goals through the first through the first half and only that one through to the last to, – through to the – then they only had uh, one – to midway through the last quarter. Um, that was a superb effort, but it's all about putting these defensive structures in place, about what Binman was talking about before, about um, controlling the game and, and having the the defenders coming back at the right time and in the right positions, and we could just control that game from start to finish. 
And I guess I guess this is a, a perfect time to discuss this now since we're talking about defensive structures and this has been an ongoing discussion like our conundrum in the forward line. Uh, it's our back line that seems to have an even bigger conundrum. Uh, Harrison Petty made his return to Casey on the weekend and B-Man, I'll get your thoughts on whether he did enough to put his hand up for return this week or whether he needs another week to get his eye in, as they say. Uh, Joel Smith has been impressive this season, maybe not standing in the right spot, but uh, he has been impressive nonetheless, uh, but missed the match on Thursday night due to health and safety protocols. Uh, Tomlinson hasn't been doing much wrong. Uh, He's doing his job week in, week out. Selection dilemmas are a good problem to have. So which way are you leaning this week, bin man? Um, Uh, uh, Joel Smith is available to come back. What happens? Petty is there. What happened? I, I don't think Petty's like, – I mean, I, I went to that game and it was terrific. I'll talk about it in a, in yep. a bit. But the um, um, I, I, they'll give him three weeks at VFL level. There's no, three weeks? One, I think so. There's yeah. no, One, there's no need to rush him back. Two, yeah. you know, why would you take any risk? He's coming off, you know, like uh, surgery to, yep. to his um, corky, uh, to his calf. He was on the ground for all four quarters, but I doubt he played – you know, he, he may have only played 50, 60% um, game time, um, at least one more week. I, like, why would you – I mean, it would be interesting because the sort of next week, so two weeks is the Richmond game yep. and the Anzac Eve. So, you know, my tip maybe come maybe for that game. So, so three weeks in all with the VFL, two more, I, I suspect, maybe coming back for um, Anzac Eve game would be my tip. I mean, why take the risk? And, I mean, the benefit of – not rushing people back is, as we've talked about earlier in the season, it's give, it gives players an opportunity like a Tom Watson to, you know, how else when you've got that philosophy and not changing winning sides, mm-hmm. it's almost like you've got to take that opportunity while you've got, got it in front of you to reward people for all of their effort last year because, you know, that becomes a factor come the end of this season. You know, like you need to get get people's minds sort of focused on the ability, you know, the chances to playing. I, you know, I'm strong on I think Smith will come back in and I think he'll come in for Tomlinson. Um, I think Tomlinson, he, he's, play, he's been serviceable. Um, I, I just think that, our defensive system requires a lot of running. It requires a lot of getting across the contests, and um, he's got he, he's got the athleticism that Tomo doesn't have. He can impact contests. He plays tall. Um, so yeah, my my sense is he'll. You know, I think he's competing sort of Hunt Hibbard those roles, those three once. Um, um, Petty comes back into the picture. So uh, my tip will be Tom Monson will come out and Smith will come back in and that'll be the only change to the defensive unit this week. It's a real conundrum because then when Petty comes back, there's, there's more more problems. Uh, George, anything you want to add no, to that? And don't forget there's a bloke called Salem. Yeah. Oh, uh, yet to come back and, and Hibbert, by old reports, should be back and playing this week. So he'll be available, no doubt, in two weeks or thereabouts. The back line yeah. is the yeah. conundrum. <laughs> Yeah, well, at the moment, know. you've got to remember that you've got Gus essentially playing a halfback flank, so he'll go back to the wing. And then what and about Jordan? Then what <laughs> about it, Jordan? I think he goes to the bench. And I mean, he's a the thing about Jordan is he's a he's a classic modern utility. Like in the old days, back in the eighties, yeah. that's what it, you know. The footy card when you picked up James yeah. Jordan the footy card, it would have utility across. You know? yeah. Back in the day, it was like we're not quite sure what position he plays, so we'll yeah. whack utility on the card. But he he really is our um, utility. You know, he can play off halfback. He 
can play wing, he can give the mids a chop out, um, uh, and he's smart enough to play whatever role he's assigned. He's a he's a gun in that respect. But Gus will go back to the wing, and Salem will come back to that halfback flank. Fantastic problem to have. Um, the big man, you have oh, you've listed two things. Well, you had three things. So, uh, and I haven't. You, you didn't list a, a something for a room for improvement. But you know what? There's going to be weeks where there's no room for improvement. Uh, I quite did think of an improvement. Oh, but we'll get to. I'll, I'll talk about my um, um, positives. Or um, the you know one of the things is there was a bit of criticism on Demon Land about that game, and you know that it was a you know, terrible game. We played terrible. And um, I just think it's a remarkable scenario. Um, that's the sort of win that the Great Hawks sides during their premiership run and the Lions in, the Lions in their three-peat years strung together. Um, I mean, they came out with a plan, just as Essendon did, to suffocate us. I mean, they're a top four team with a particular game plan. Um, and on the, the show First Crack last night, Joey Montagna was all over this, is the you know, they deliberately and consciously um, decided to play keepings off. Um, and, you know, that to me says that they came into that match with in the belief that their game model, their way of playing that they've played now for 10 years under Hinkley has no chance of beating us. So that their game plan that they've built, they've practised for almost a decade, um, they've got all of their systems, they commenced that game of football, uh, as did Essendon the previous week, saying, look, if we play our game plan um, with this lineup, with those players out, we've got no chance of beating this football team. Um, for me, um, that's the mark of a great side. And when I say not Port, obviously me. Um, uh, sorry, but the the D's. The the. I mean, that's just fantastic. It's brilliant. Like they came into that game with just the strangest attitude. Now, Montagna was all over it. He was saying, you know, he was really critical, saying, "Well, what? That's just terrible. You're basically giving up. You're saying your game plan's hopeless." That I agree with him, and I agree that it was a terrible bit of coaching, and that's what Montagna was saying: it's terrible coaching. You're doing your own players' head in, um, and so they showed vision on first crack. It's well worth watching of them breaking that game plan because they were saying they were confused about how to go about playing the footy because that for, out of nowhere they're being asked to play a whole different style of footy. Um, so it was remarkable. The only thing he didn't mention, I think, is worth worth noting is that there was zero three. So, you know, they were desperate not to go down 4-1. But the, the short version of it is that they came in and figured they had no chance of beating us unless they tried something radical. Now, he was happy with it, um, but not happy the fact that we burst. But he made the point that it was just that burst of five or six minutes of footy was the difference in the end. Um, and um, But nonetheless, it was, you know, uh, that I thought that's a real positive in terms of how the other teams are viewing us. And I remember back in the day in Hawthorne, that's what, you know, you'd, teams would look to Uber, flood back or they'd look to try all these radical solutions to beating. We were doing it all the time. <laughs> Melbourne were doing it all the time to have any sort of chance of being in a match. So to be in the situation where good teams are starting a game of footy, conceding that their method isn't going to get close to us. It can only be a positive for us, I think. Yes. Um, let's move on to room for improvement. Um, as mentioned in my match wrap-up, I, I was a little bit disappointed with our ball movement 
going forward. I thought that a number of times we perhaps gave off one too many handballs, calling, causing the chain to fall down. I don't believe it was a case of trying to be too cute or lairising. I, I think we just didn't execute right and perhaps took the wrong option. And it, it's obviously hard to tell when you're watching it on TV as to what the options are down the field. Uh, but a few times it seems like we did have the option forward, but we ignored it for another handball uh, that was then intercepted or, or turned over due to poor disposal. And perhaps it comes down to the percentages uh, you were talking about, big man, and maybe those preferred percentage options uh, to go wide weren't available, so we went an extra handball. Um, and I don't want to sound like one of those people who just say kick the bloody things, but sometimes I just want them to just kick the bloody thing. Uh, but what do I know? The club has some flashy silverware to show and they might know what they're doing. So I don't know, do either of you think we overuse the ball going forward? Uh, I get that we play percentages, as you were talking about. Um, and, you know, we like to go wide, but if you're streaming down the field, sometimes going more direct to a one-on-one might be advantageous. They flooded though again. Yeah. They flooded our defensive unit. So again, it's hard to tell on telly if we were at the ground, we would have been able to see it. They flooded even harder than Essendon did the previous week. So when they're chaining those handballs down the ground, they often, you know, wouldn't have had a um, free space to kick into. So that might have been a factor. I mean, they definitely missed. I don't think they were doing anything Hollywood. No, um, they missed a few. You know, maybe that's the seventy percent not quite switched on. I think it's sort of, you know. Um, but, yeah, I, that's probably a factor is the way that, that Port defensively set up. Yeah, they were trying to stifle the game, basically, and it wasn't surprising that um, it wasn't as clean for us because there were just bodies everywhere. We we just didn't get the opportunities. Like, you know, we all remember the grand final and how, how open that was. Mm. Um, that wasn't the way the case in this game. And there was also a suggestion from one of our um, demon landers that that uh, the ground was wet. Um, I found that hard to understand given the, given the marking that was going on and certainly wasn't a comparison with um, the Gold Coast game where the maximum anybody uh, got was two marks, I think, for the game. Um, I but, think Dewey. Um, I think I read somewhere that it got a bit Dewey before yeah, the end of the night. So. But, um, yeah, you can understand that. But just the presence of so many bodies around the ball and their continuous hope to to stifle us uh, it wasn't surprising it wasn't as clean as before but once again the other opposition had better worry worry about us if if that's our worst problem yeah. most serious problem yeah. um, and we still win by five goals um, yeah uh, George you want to talk about uh, Sam Weedman the weed what do we do about the weed it's um, legalize it, I think, but no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might be the way to go. Um, yeah, after the previous week where everybody was hopeful um, of uh, him finally showing his wares and what he can do for us, he turns in a, a game that's just simply uninspiring. That's yeah, always but, been the weed, like, he'll do that, he'll play a game like that last week and then play a game like this. And and that is his problem, isn't it? He's played f- fifty-one games or whatever. Um, it's his seventh season. You've got to be showing something, quite honestly, by this stage. You've got to be showing something consistently uh, by this stage. He's going to be saved this week simply because Bren, as we all know now, Ben Brown's been suspended for a week. Um, so he's going to get another crack at it. And boy, he'd better show something. Um, 
uh, in this game, uh, particularly with the back line of uh, GWS we'll talk about later, a little bit underwhelmed. Um, but his prob- Weed's problem, and um, I've been talking about and banging on about it for years, I feel embarrassed to say this, um, it hasn't changed. It's his second efforts. It, it just doesn't just doesn't have the second efforts. And I think it was epitomised for me in the very first minute of the game. Um, the ball came down in the wing. He got a free kick um, because he was being manhandled into a, in a marking contest. And T-Mac was in that very same marking contest. Wiedemann handed, uh, handballed the ball off to Jordan, I think it was, going past, and stood still. He, did, he didn't try and deflect the um, guy on the mark to assist Jordan. Meanwhile, T-Mac, who was in the same marking contest, has disappeared down to the forward line. He's he's run the 60 or 70 metres down to the forward line. Jordan kicked the ball to Fritsch, who marked and gold. But as Fritsch marked it, T-Mac was already down to that contest. And then the camera pans back and Weedman's still standing in the same spot he was 30 seconds ago. It's, you've got to do more. You've got to... This, this whole team has been built around second efforts, third efforts, putting in, doing what you need to do off the ball, you, places where you don't – doing things that you don't get statistics for. Um, and he just doesn't do that sort of thing. There was a one statistic I dragged out of the overall statistics, just looking at T-Mac because some people are saying, well, you know, up until tonight um, – uh, T-Mac should be going out. Well, if you look at the one percenters over their career, T-Mac does uh, 5.71 percenters per game. Wiedemann does 1.25. So T-Mac's doing five times the amount of one percenter work every time he goes onto the field that Wiedemann is. There's no comparison. I can't see the coaches going for Wiedemann in favour of, in favor of uh, T-Mac with the immense amount of work that T-Mac does around the ground up the field, creating the second options and then putting in the second efforts and things. So he'll be back this week. Um, we'll wait and see. But as one of the other Demon Landers noticed, if he has to go back to Casey, he's on a two-year contract and I don't think we'll be losing anything by him going back there. He's got two years to prove himself. Well, maybe he needs to start proving himself very, very quickly. Anything else to add to that, uh, B-Man? Oh, just uh, yeah. It's just, I mean, the, it's just these those second efforts aren't instinctive. That's the thing. I think that's that's probably my biggest knock on him. It's just it's not. It seems psychological. It's not like it's just they're not instinctive. Like instinctively, you just do that. Like, and you, how do you train? And so he's got to find a way to do it. And I really hope he does. Um, I think just on the st- statistics, I, I, I think people have got to sort of start thinking past numbers when they're looking at who they're going to um, bring in. I mean, like he, he had one game, he kicks four goals and everyone's like, you know, everyone. <laughs> a lot of people are saying, um, you know, T-Mac, surely he comes out, he's been terrible. We, you know, has to take that spot. Well, you know, until we can do the amount of running up and down the ground, um, you know, uh, T-Mac's not going anywhere. So, um, you know, and, and I think that in this day, you do, again, you've got to listen to Goody. If he picks players who are playing their role, if they're in the team, you can guarantee they're playing their role. Um, so, you know, um, yeah, he's got a lot to work on. And I, I mean, I hope he makes it. I think, you know, there's nothing to lose for him to go back to Casey to work on it. So, 
Um, okay. You come up with the improvement in the end, Andy. I've got two. <laughs> First of all, the improvement was the area for improvement at the beginning of the game. I was a slight worry on Cozzy. Um, for the first time, I, I, I saw some sort of not great body language. It was in the first two or three minutes of the game. Someone didn't handball over the top to him or, and he sort of threw his hands up in the air a little bit and then just sort of made a mental note of, you know, that's not – that. it struck it, me as sort of unusual and, you know, he's not been like that. Um, and I, it was a little bit of a concern um, initially. Um but then in, as the match wore on, his pressure was unbelievable, including that one amazing patch of footy where, it, like, we're talking about second efforts for weed yeah. and what's instinctive and what's not. He just needs to sit down and watch tape of, um, you know, a 19-year-old kid who whose instinctive second efforts, without exaggeration, in that contest on the sort of wing or half forward, there was one where I forget which quarter it was, but there was about five or six efforts where he was just, you know, just diving, scrapping, keeping the ball in. He'd made a mistake at the beginning of that chain and immediately tried to fix it. Um, so that that really helped me sort of calm down my, my initial sort of worry about his body language. And the other one, just a, not really improvements, just a slight query, is Rivers um, and whether – you know, he's at full fitness and um, he just doesn't seem quite the same player this year in terms of his run off the halfback flank. Um, and just while I've just, uh, there's um, Travi14 in the um, um, uh, in the chat room says, and I'm totally with him, Andy, uh, please don't give King any more airtime. <laughs> with that. Uh, it was more so not King, but I just, yeah, it was <laughs> what he was talking um, about. And he pumps up Jack Viney, um, who had six tackles, seven clearances and kicking goals. And I thought it was great because Uze's, um, we were talking in the interview with Uze about both those players, about um, Jordan playing, you know, and but that uh, um, Jack having a, you know, uh, Uze made the point it's only the, f- the second time or first time he's had a really good run at it pre-season and he's looking terrific, isn't he? And he, that goal he kicked, he was pumped um, and it went dead straight. It was a, a thing of beauty. Yeah, his goal kicking's really improved. His set shot goal kicking um, used to sort of close my eyes a little bit when he was having a set shot, but uh, he's been very, very accurate. Um, before we move on uh, from the positives and room for improvement section of the show, I, I want to take my privileged position of creating this podcast and the Demonland website to sneak in another quick positive, and that's James Harms. He's often the forgotten midfielder amongst our A-grade midfield. And I think he's played two really solid games in a row for us, 21 and 23 possessions respectively. But he's impacted the the scoreboard with two goals in each of those matches. Um, and this week in a low score, you know, we didn't, they scored 10 goals. So those two goals are, are very important. And um, yeah, I, I think he's been fantastic the last two weeks. It's all yeah. about he's all about the role play player, yep. isn't he? That um, he he just keeps on doing what he has to do and and just keeps on putting in is the thing. He's he's barreling his body around. Mm. He's finally reached that stage in his career of you know the twenty four, twenty five, twenty six year old who's got a body which takes the heat of AFL and he's starting to produce these regular um, performances of a couple of goals a game. Um, denying the opposition opportunities when um, they should be getting them. Uh, so yeah, he's he's been a real highlight, um, certainly in, the, in in this season and as well as uh, towards the end of last season. 
Yeah, totally agree. And he looks fitter than he did last year. If it's like he looks cut and he looks, um, you know, more less sort of built in the upper body, he he looks in ripping Nick. And uh, I mean, he technically he's a beautiful kick for goal. Um, mm. Really confident when he's got the ball in his hand. And it was actually, I think, an important goal. The first one he kicked was yes. a really important point in the match. And um, um, Sort of not quite got us going, but um, you know it was the first goal, wasn't it, that we kicked in in twenty five minutes of footy or something? Yeah, he, he, he only kicked seven goals last year. He's kicked six this year mm-hmm. in four games. Yeah, and and when you need another grunt player in the middle, it's, it's once again it must be frightening for the opposition that Oliver and Petrarca are um, just. Um, producing a, a middle-of-the-range performance and yet you throw in Viney and Harms on top of them as, as pure grunt players, um, the opposition must be horrified to see see that prospect. Yeah, and he's he, I, maybe it's a sort of he's doing it and getting away with it, but I haven't noticed this year at all any of those attempts to push off like, you know, the dusty style and getting mm. pinned or, um, yeah, no, I totally agree. And he's been terrific this season and was just, you know, he wanted easily one of our best on the, um, against Port. All right, let's move on to the Casey game. Be man, you haven't been lucky enough to, to get to a seniors match live and in person, but you were fortunate enough to make it to Williamstown to watch Casey take on the Seagulls. Uh, unexpectedly, after a slow start, the Seagulls, it was the Seagulls who were full of running, where they were able to shut Casey down and take a one-point lead into halftime. After halftime, it was Casey's superior fitness and class that saw them run out, winner by 35 points. Uh, B-Man, which uh, D's impressed you? Uh, who's putting their hand up for selection, if not this week, uh, in the coming weeks? Well, who's impressed you? Uh, I, I would have to say the player that... Um one, I don't know what happened to Melsham. Was was he? In, he wasn't injured, was he? Or was it health and because he didn't play? Um, Someone on Demon Land said he's out of flavour. He's out of flavour, right? <laughs> um, uh, just uh, as a, there was not a breath of wind. And anyone who's been to that ground, it, it is normally ha- um, the wind is howling. It's the most magnificent ground, I reckon, footy. Uh, I'd love to play a game of cricket there. I think it's the most beautiful ground in Melbourne. I don't think there's a ground that can top it for beauty. It's just a magnificent spot. Um, you know, right on the point, Jelly Brown there. Um, great. It was really entertaining game of footy. Really, really entertaining game of footy. And I really loved it. It was fantastic. I felt like a kid going out to the um, in my Melbourne jumper and <laughs> Melbourne cap to the quarter time and three quarter time huddle. Really fascinating to, to listen to him. Um, Petrarca was there. Um, um, Captain Jack was there captain uh, jack viney was also there or vice captain um jack viney um and james jordan was there um all coming over to the huddle at, at quarter time and three quarter time track was talking to the um forwards uh sorry the mids at three quarter time it was not oh, great really, it was terrific to be able to be that close there was no there was no um barriers around them so you could basically st- stand I, I tried to stand in my melbourne jumper in the forwards but i got elbowed and shoved out but <laughs> Um, I'd say the player that stood out the most in terms of, you know, when you see a player and think he's a cut above that level um, was uh, Bedford. He looked fantastic. He, he moved super well. He moved quick. His lateral movement, um, you know, he, he is brilliant. I remember seeing a practice game that one at Arden Street before the beginning of the, was it 2020 season? Yeah. Um, he looked good that day, um, but he he really looked cut above. He, he did some time in the in the middle. Um, Petty looked great. Petty looked um, like a, an AFL player playing VFL. Um, Benny Brown 
had a slow first half but really worked into it and kept on working. I thought his attitude was terrific. Uh, I'm amazed he got reported because I was there. I don't recall. There was no Willie player got taken off with an injury. He might have got, um, con- you know, a concussion test at a, one of the breaks, but I'm positive there was no break in play. Um, there's vision There's vision on Demonland and Cal Toomey's account on Twitter. Uh, he definitely hit him and he's lucky to only have got yeah. one week. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, it was behind, behind the play. And someone else reported on Demon Land that he'd been niggling Ben all night. And what just, was it? George, you know what, what point of the game it was? Oh, no. No, I wouldn't off the top of my head. The ball had been kicked down down downfield and there was a marking contest, but it was behind play where it occurred. Right, because I had my binoculars on a few of the players and I was watching him for a big chunk of the night and Petty and um, they were into Brown from the minute the game started yeah. right through. They were shoving him, hitting him, bumping him, um, you know, so he's obviously lost his uh, lolly, which doesn't seem to be his MO, but oh God, how would you think it's unbelievable. He goes out for protocols and he's um, – yeah. Um, he's back in, you know, he's another week and week gets the, the look in. I'm, I'm, I'm devastated for that, not least because I backed him to win the bloody Coleman. So that's, <laughs> like, that's no good. But um, yeah. he, he were, I was really impressed actually because there's no space. It's a tiny ground. So he had no space to run into. He looked like a, you know, he looked like a, an under 21s player playing in the Little League. <laughs> he's so big. Um, and Willie don't have any um, AFL uh, they've got no affiliated, um, they're not affiliated thing. So I don't even know they've got any ex-AFL. They're on the bottom of the ladder. And they were just number 29, the one on him, and their big Ruckman who, sorry, I don't know his name, number 11. They were just smashing into Brown the whole match. So mm. um, very uh, frustrating. But, yeah, I'd say the Bedford really, really stood out. Rosman played his best game for the club. He looked fantastic. And interestingly, uh, he played um, deep defender, halfback flank slash deep defender for the game, took most of the kickouts. Um, and I, I thought he was terrific. Um, so, you know, that was really interesting in terms of that role. Um, yeah, I, I'd say they, they're the players that stood out for me. And the other one was Majak Dor. He, he, was, he was dominating in the ruck, kicked a beautiful goal, good pair of hands, looked super fit, um, really engaged, good voice. Um, a thoroughly enjoyable game of footy to, to, to go see. Um, and, yeah, but Bedford probably is the one that stood out for me. Man, I, I'm just intrigued. I've only seen it on the, seen bits on the um, the, the uh, replay on the AFL site. Um, what what's perhaps striking me this year with with the Casey games is players like Mitch White and Munro almost seem like a, a step ahead or a, a, a class above a lot of the players that we've got playing. And I thought um, these players are showing their wares, but where are the players who have been on the list for a couple of years now? Where are these players and what chance have they actually got of getting into the side? And I'm thinking of players like Baker and uh, uh, even Laurie at this stage, although it's only a couple of games in. You know, When when players like Mitch White can star, um, where, where do these players sit? No, I, I think there's, you, you know, I, I, that's the, if you think back to the famous Hawk, you know, I don't know this is apocryphal, but the you know, um, T 
Tuck playing what nearly 100 games at reserve footy. I know it's a different era, but essentially, it's a you know it's a very tough um, side to get into. Obviously, that goes without saying. We've had a good run with injury. Laurie, I don't know. I mean, Laurie's only in his second season, isn't he? It's like mm, so yeah, you know, yeah. he's no, there's no need to worry about Laurie. He can wait another couple of years. Rosman's a good X factor. Uh, White played fantastic. He's, he, yeah. he's only 25, which was because he looks about 40. Um, but, you know, I think they, they're they sort of tough in and under players. But, you know, I think there's time for a lot of those players. I, I To be honest, Oscar Baker, I think it's hard to see him um, making AFL level. Um, you know, I've got a lot of time for him. But, he, um, you know, he's the sort of player who's on the fringe. Um, Van Ruin is the other one, is it? Is that how you pronounce Van it? Van Royen. Uh, he's got good hands and he's yeah. everything that you're sort of suggesting that Weed hasn't got, he's got in spades. Like he was, he was fuming with himself when he dropped the mark at one point. He kicked the first goal, came out hard. So there's plenty to like of those players. I think there's plenty of time. It's as much as anything, I think, George, it'll be their psychology of whether they want to remain at the club, you know, like how, at what point do you um, to say, well, I'm never going to get into this side. I think Oscar Baker's probably, you know, he'd probably need to make a call. Um, there's plenty of time for Laurie. <coughs> Powell is only in his first season. I think Rosman's got a future. Definitely Van Ruin is is, is there. So, you know, I, I, I think the Munro and the White, they, they play great in a system, play their role. They're both really good team players. Um, both run in straight lines. <laughs> that was something yeah, great yeah. to watch. And I, I mean, yeah, so I don't think there's any alarm bells for any of those players. I think that, you know, um, they're just going to have to buy the time. The one that's a bit, it's a challenge for him. I mean, Bedford's one of them, but Chandler. I mean, it's a tricky one to, he's got to get past Spargo really, Chandler. Whereas I think um, um, Bedford can come in for multiple positions. He can play a nibbler role. He could also even play a midfield. He could, he is sub. So I think he'll be, he'll be the sub. For, for the next period of time. So I, I think Chandler's that one where he's good enough to play at AFL level and will he be, you know, does he want to, how long does he want to play and not get into the um, side before he thinks, well, I've got to go somewhere else for another yeah. opportunity. It's sort of, I guess, what Richmond experience, isn't it, in terms of losing yeah. some of their, you know, those mid-level players. The other one I was interested in, he seems to pop up um, with something special every now and again is Andy Moniz Wakefield. Yeah, yeah, he played. He played all right. He's got a bit of zing about him. I mean, the good thing I really enjoyed is like seeing that game with you, Andy, down at North Melbourne. Is when you're close, you really see the you know the speed at which they hit each other, and you really hear. It. And I thought he 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 was pretty clever. He was into they were into him as well. It was a pretty niggly match. There was a fair bit of fire, but yeah, he looks like he's got a bit of class about him. Um, but you know, he was hard running. Uh, kicked a couple too, I think, or at least yeah. one. Yeah, two. Yep, two. Yeah. Um, so let's go ins and outs, uh, you know, uh, who's coming in, who's uh, going out. It's uh, not Ben Brown now, so no. not uh, Petty. Some perhaps, uh, perhaps Smith comes back in. Uh, other than that, I can't really see us making any changes. How about you guys? George? I want to find a way to get Sinead Goldrick into the back line. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk, we'll, left field. <laughs> we, we t- we'll talk about the AFLW shortly, but um, Sinead epitomises everything that is needed with with the Melbourne men's team. You know, absolutely throws the body in at every opportunity. Yeah, she's <laughs> great. Just straight at the ball and anything that gets in her way, bad luck. Um, yeah. 
but really, um, I, I can't see anything really changing this week. Um, you know, I thought Brown was going to come in for Wiedemann this week, but that's going to that's obviously changed. Petty, I think, is going to be another another week. Um, uh, Hibbert's at least another week as well. So basically, I can't see any changes coming this week. I think Smith will come in for Tom Watson. Will be the change. That'll be interesting. I mean, he's mm. got to be unlucky if if if. Goodwin goes by his usual mantra of not changing really the winning team. Um, it, Smith might just be unlucky that he can't crack it back in uh, to he the team. L- like uh, Hunt when he went out. I mean, that was very deep into the season and we're into finals when he was back, so it's very hard to bring him back. Uh, but, yeah, a bit different I, I just feel now. like that Goody sees Smith in the best 22 come finals. Yeah. Um, and so he needs... Um, AFL level games, and um, I think he's the future. And you know, yeah, I'd look, I'd be surprised if he doesn't come in for Tomlinson, but we'll see on Thursday night, won't we? Mm. Uh, before before we move on to the opposition watch, uh, there was one player I didn't ask you about in Casey Dun- Luke Dunstan, who who we asked um, Uze about whether he was just sort of a you know an understudy in case we had some sort of major injuries. Um, what do you think of his game? Yeah, he, he was solid. Um, yeah, he was solid without super standing out. Um, he, he worked hard the whole game, spent, you know, he was really in and under. Um, it, it, it's a pretty tiny ground, so there was a lot of congestion. Um, and, yeah, I, I thought he was solid without sort of blowing me away. Um, you know, I think Bedford's ahead of him, to be honest, at the moment. Okay. Um, so, like, he really... He's a relatively one-dimensional player. He can, you know, he'll come in as a midfield. I think as Uze, Uze was saying last week, is that that's his spot, isn't it? So it's he hasn't quite got the flexibility to sort of play off a half-back mm-hmm. flank or half-forward flank. Is you know, so it's really he's a cover for Viney. I reckon he plays a similar in and under role as Viney, and almost a defensive in and under mm-hmm. contested ball-winning mid. Uh, George, uh, if you'd like to proceed with your analysis of the GWS Giants, who were only who one of only four and a half teams to defeat us last season, no less at our home ground in the MCG at the MCG, they're sitting at one and three in thirteenth position on the ladder. So, yes, um, GWS are a bit of an enigma. They've they're seriously talented across every single line in the in the side, but. They simply fail to get the job done uh, when needed. Um, they've got some serious injury problems at the moment. Uh, Phil Davis, they're basically their fullback, is missing. Jacob Hopper's uh, injured. Daniel Lloyd's uh, injured. And, of course, Toby Green is still out. Uh, Nick Haynes is a maybe for this week, um, being a test. And Braden Purse has managed to get himself suspended. So... Um, uh, when they're missing their ruck and their fullback, this is almost like a, a repeat of the Port Adelaide side that we've just faced. Uh, you, ca- you can't go into the game against the Gorn-Jackson combination with a single ruck or a second string of ruck th- um, for the game. Mumford's no longer there and Bruce was the great hope and he did play a particularly good game um, last week. 
they got stitched up a bit by the umpires in free about Frio. The free kicks were forty-two to sixteen. I would have, I would have had a stroke. I think <laughs> looking at that. Yeah, and and it was only because Frio kicked six straight in the final quarter. Um, there was only a two-point difference at three-quarter time. So the Giants have still got the skills and the ability to stay in the game, even with all these uh, players out. Um, but. Um, Look, once like like the Port Adelaide game, I think we've got them covered in various positions. Um, that they won't have the back line without Davis and maybe Haynes um, there. They have they've got um, um, uh, they got the uh, young fellow. What's his name? Ta- Taylor is it? Ta- uh, Taylor, yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. So, but they're not. They're not the same rely rely. They haven't got the same reliability as someone like like Davis. Up forward, they've got Jesse Hogan, who hasn't set the world on fire. I suppose um, is a fair assessment, but I think he'll get completely done over by Stephen May and the rest of the defenders. Um, they're always a worry. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Um, but without Green, Green was. Um, Green, was, green in both games against us last year. Yeah, rip, ripped, us ripped, us. Ripped, us. ripped us a new one. We cannot um, play both, him for some yeah. reason. We've got no one for him. So yeah, he's he's just a brilliant player um, when he's let loose. So it it'll be down to the wire. Um, you know, like it was for Frio, they'll keep themselves in it. Their talents undeniable, but um, I think we're in the position of we'll just grind them down like we have all the other four teams this year. Um, who 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 do you think um, De Boer is going to to tag? Because he always tags uh, he, one of he us. Can pick, he can pick who he likes. Well, it he, does not going to make any difference whatsoever. Tagged Oliver last year. I can't remember yeah. who he. Ta- oh no, I didn't see that game. That remember that was the game last year that I was flying last and then game t- AFL footy I've seen. Yeah. And I decided then not to watch the uh, the game because I had missed it and I was frustrated. Anyway, uh, yeah, do you do you recall? Did they did he tag Oliver in the second game? I think he did actually. Now. Yeah, I think he yeah. tagged Oliver in that game. Mm. But the thing is, I like listening to Uze last week. Um, as soon as you start tagging mm-hmm. in the middle, uh, you you're one one person down. And we've got either Oliver or Petrarca or Viney. Well, they'll or, use um, his. I've seen Debert tag someone this year, so 100% they're going to use yeah, him to tag yeah. one of Petrarca or Oliver. Yeah, well, good but, luck. <laughs> and, and the other thing he said last week was funny because he he mentioned this, and the day before I'd heard an interview with um, Petrarca um, saying the same thing about tagging. He said one of the problems with tagging is one, you're a player down essentially. You don't have that player to use in your defensive um, all-team defense because mm. he's with someone. He's supposed to be zoning off that person to be mm. a defensive threat. Um, but the other one that the point that Uze touched on and Petrarca also said is they've got tricks now um, when the player is getting tagged of, of um, freeing up other players and creating things. So you know when um, on the weekend um, you know Track can just push forward, bring his tag with him, and then they can throw their the opposition's matchups around because they've then got to make a call. Do you take the board deep down into the forward line? You know, one out is track's going to kill him. So, you know, they, they do lots of things to break tags. And, you know, cooler is the thing that Brett and Santa said. I've heard that a few times where they, it's really about limiting their influence, not doing a hard tag. But, I mean, yeah, the ball will run with someone, won't mm. I think Uze used a term as well. What did he say? He used some term for tagging. Uh 
Yeah, so basically trying to sort of minimise their influence without yeah. just sending someone to them the whole game. And well, he said that putting uh, time into them or something, putting time into to them. Yeah, putting time into them, and yeah. it was interesting actually because in response to your question about us not tagging, he said, "Well, they a couple of times that um, Viney did a tagging job last mm. year, and so did Harm. So um, in that more of that context of putting time into opposition players, so I, I thought that was interesting." Um, anything else on the GWS before we move on to the AFL? Yeah, if you want to make some money, just back Melbourne in the twenty quarter. <laughs> we'll win somewhere between twenty three points and thirty six points. That's the range we'll, well win. Well, to the frustration of everyone because it's like we could have won it by ten goals. You know, I was in that camp. I was firmly in that camp. Why didn't we could have thumped them? Thumped yeah. them. But no, I think I, I think you've. Uh, yeah, you're cool this year. Yeah, <laughs> well, it seems to be our sweet spot, that 23 to 30, whatever, uh, well, like 40. Demon Lane, if you're winning 18 games in a season or 16, 17, your percentage really looks after itself. We've already got the most percentage and we haven't put a team away yet, so. Yeah, it, it's, I'm not, um, look, if we start losing games, then I'll start worrying a bit more about percentage, but if you keep winning, it's it's not a problem. The only thing I'd say about, I've said this about the Giants before, is that I find it really interesting the way um, they set up it. They really set up like an old school footy team. It's like, you know, they're a man on man. They, I mean, everyone does some sort of form of zone defence um, these days, but they don't really, like they, they're very meat and potatoes the way they go about it. Um, and, um, you know, it can be a really effective style of footy, but they've really got to win the contest. If they don't win the contested ball, they don't win footy games. And I mean, that's true of most teams, I guess. But um, so if we come out in our normal sort of style, I don't think they'll be able to go with us. All right, let's uh, move on. We'll talk about uh, the AFLW Grand Final. So after the joy of victory at the Adelaide Oval on Thursday night, it was heartbreak for our women's team at the very same ground two days later. Uh, in their first ever AFLW Grand Final, the Demons were beaten by a stronger and more experienced Adelaide Crows by 13 points. I thought we did very well to stay in the match and as a result of some wayward kicking, perhaps the Crows should have been further up at half time. I think we were constantly under pressure every time we got possession um, the Crows had stronger bodies than our players at times. It was as if it was women playing against some girls. We were harassed and tackled. We were forced to just get it and kick it. Couldn't seem to get a clean possession, and therefore when we went forward, we often kicked to an outnumbered contest uh, or just to space, uh, and no one was really there. Uh, conversely, they didn't seem to have a problem moving the ball forward and were sort of easily allowed to find space and loose players I thought our defence held up very well, but in the end, the Crows were just too good and, you know, they deserve their third uh, premiership. Um, uh, George? Yeah, I think that was a fair summation there, Andy. It's um, uh, women against girls. Yeah. And, uh, and that's not disparaging our, our ladies. No, They've no, had a great abso- year. Abso- absolutely not. But um, uh, Adelaide have been gifted by the AFL um, exclusive rights to South Australian football for the last six years. Um, and it's... Not surprising that uh, they've got the best team in the competition and of the five premierships that have been decided out of the six seasons, um, they've won three of them now. Um, so thank you very much, AFL. Um, 
it's uh, you've got the results you wanted, but uh, hopefully when Port Adelaide come in next year, that Adelaide will lose a considerable uh, number of their players and we'll start to get a, a much more even competition. Someone but, said but, that they hadn't really lost many players to the expansion teams. No, there is, but the um, uh, the problem is that there's certainly certain rules in terms of drafting in particular where you get preference uh, to the you can't basically draft for an interstate player unless they want to go there. Mm. So Adelaide, have, like I said, have just had the pick of the very best players in South Australia for the last six years. Um, and they haven't lost any players, naturally. Why would they want to? They're all happily ensconced in, in Adelaide. Um, so we can't worry about that. But like I said, hopefully um, they'll lose a good number of their players to uh, Port when they start up. Uh, come August, um, in particular Aaron Phillips, who will probably go back to where her father played for all those years in Port Adelaide. So take Aaron Phillips out of that side and all, all of a sudden the the uh, game against us becomes a little bit more even. Um, but it's not, ju- not just her, um, Hatchard and, uh, and uh, Chelsea Randall um, are just fantastic, but they're yeah, big. Exactly. They're Big, strong girls, and yep. when you look at a couple of the Melbourne girls, you know Lily Mithen, I suppose, is the the the, the example that probably stand really stands out. She's slight, as well. yeah. They're very they're very slight girls, yeah. and they were just monsters, simply monsters. Yeah. In, in, in the middle, uh, we've got Eliza West and Liv Purcell, who you know Eliza West's first season, she's been suddenly thrown up against these huge monsters of girls. Um, she she held her own as same as Liv Purcell, but they're just they're just not used to that sort of pressure. Um, so it wasn't surprising the the end result. I don't think we set up particularly well yet again. Um, Daisy was wasted for half the game, um, sitting down the forward line doing nothing when the ball's not going down there. When she swung into the back line, it's not about the defence. It's just she knows how to read the play and use the ball. Um, I think we're wasting her up forward, and I think the only reason we do use her up forward is because we've got no one else. Uh, Taylor Harris has obviously cemented her place, but as we saw in this game, Taylor was triple teamed time and time and time again. My question in that game was, where are the Casey Sheriffs? Where are the where are the Kate Hawes? You know, um, Elisa Bannon, we know, has got the speed, but she needs an open paddock to do it. Where were the girls who were there to help... Um, uh, Taylor out when she was in the marking contest. Where are the ones who are meant to be crumbing at the sides? They just weren't there. Um, Adelaide were well well structured, bigger girls. It was surprising we were able to stay in the match for so long. The defenders were just absolutely first class. Yeah. I mentioned Goldrick before, but Colvin and Birch just denied them time, and, and Shelley Heath as well, just denied them time and time again and kept us in the game. And if... If we'd been able to jag a couple of goals, um, particularly the one that Lily Miffin was unable to kick, you know, from 20 metres out, um, that would have brought us back within three, brought it mm. down to three points, I think, at that stage in the game. Um, would have been highway robbery if we got away. They were. It, it would have, but it would have also sent the sent the uh, alarm bells ringing in the Adelaide girls. You know, and, and yeah. you saw the difference to the way we were playing in that second half. All of a sudden, a bit of inspiration. If we'd gone in to half time, three points down instead of nine or ten or whatever it was, yeah. um, it would have been a very, very interesting second half. But, um, yeah, w- we would have stolen it. They were definitely the best side yeah. and have been all season. Funnily enough for me, I mean, they were. I wasn't confident at all going into the game because they, 
they were the best team this year and they were deserved winners. Uh, Hatchard is just a genuine star. I thought it was super coaching putting um, um, the skipper into the centre because it threw us a little bit. She wasn't particularly dominant in the centre, but, you know, I, like it just threw our structures. Zanka just needed to step up and, and yeah. win some more ball in the centre. Yeah. Zanka got a, um, a quad injury about three weeks ago. Right. Uh, she, she, she um, even at the preliminary final last year, she was still hobbling. So yeah. she couldn't, the, their very first goal um, with their player marked it against Zanka, Zanka couldn't get off the ground. Yeah. She just couldn't jump. So she was obviously carrying an injury and, and was ineffective in the middle. For me, the, uh, really, the only chance of winning it was to get it in the open and get it outside and run and move, move the ball quickly because in a funny way, it was like watching the men's team in the opposite. It was like the grand final, but the opposite. Like, you know, they, we play our preferred game style, and I we've talked a bit about this, George, is that moving quick, getting hitting up targets, getting the ball in flow, using the corridor, which is like the uh, the um, uh, dogs. But, you know, the problem with that model is it breaks down under the most intense finals pressure, mm. and Adelaide play like us, percentage, uh, percentages, territory, win the contest, force turnovers, um, they got folded back time and time again to give Taylor Harris no space, physically buffeted her out of the contest. Um, we, we didn't have any answers. And, and the only way, seeing what that was our game plan, we weren't going to beat them in hand-to-hand combat. The only yeah. way to do was to get that ball moving. And when we did finally get the ball breaking open a little bit is when we looked like we had a chance. We just needed to take every chance. Um, you know, every time we went in 50 at the end, we needed to score and um, we couldn't get going. Just uh, Travi 14 just posted before in the um, chat room that uh, Daisy's won the BNF too and um, be really interesting to see uh, whether she goes on. Any feeling on that, Andy, whether she'll play on? No, I haven't, uh, haven't heard I, I anything. Th- I think she will and the, re- and the reason is, do, yeah. is, is that the um, new competition starts in August. Yeah. By which time, you know, uh, if she has coaching ambitions or media ambitions, that's going to happen next year. Yeah, that's um, right. So, so, so yeah. there's the, the chance that um, she can actually play another season of football that will be finished by the end of this calendar yeah. year. Uh, and, and you know, why wouldn't you if, if you're already – and um, you have a break, but, you know, let's face it, you know, it's just like a straight into the pre-season uh, yeah. for the men's ready ready for another one. I think that's also fortunate for, for us because um, I think Karen Paxman's going to be in the same situation. Yeah. Um, why wouldn't you go around for another year? I think the the, the real question that uh, we all face and the AFL is um, what are the Irish girls going to do? Yeah. Um, uh, I'd be heartbroken to see Goldrick go back, but she was probably um, on the outer in Dublin as as a player. She would, she uh, wasn't uh, um, uh, selected, uh, you know, first selection as she was and has been in the past. Um, so there might be more attraction to stay in Australia for another year or two. Um, I'm prepared to. Um, uh, offer her any visa to stay here, <laughs> Australian citizenship, and I'm sure there's a few people that'd uh, be willing to marry her if necessary. <laughs> but, well, it's uh, interesting if they lose the Irish players, they've got a big problem, I think, coming up with this season is that they're, ex- I forget, is it two more teams coming in? Yes. Or- uh, uh, Hawthorne. Uh, Hawthorne, Essendon, Port, and Sydney. It's four more teams, and, you know. No, Sydney, I think, is the 
other one, no? I said so, sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, if you lose your Irish players as well, then your, your talent pool is getting pretty thin, to be honest. So yeah, yeah. It's a problem. Yeah, so um, hopefully we won't lose too many, um, but we can only wait and see. But I think Daisy and, and Karen will stay on. Uh, why wouldn't you stay on for basically only another six months? Although, again, I'm going to go to the chat room here and Travi 14 with all the news. Um, the newsbreaker is Collingwood have thrown a massive playing and coaching deal at Daisy um, uh, that posted. So, Jesus, how would that be, losing Daisy to the pies? Come on. Yeah. Well, it just depends whether that's the way. Uh, you would think she'd probably perhaps want to go into coaching afterwards, but then again, she's got a nice cushy job in the media as well, so maybe she mm. wants to... Still yeah, play both, I think, couldn't you? Yeah, perhaps. Especially you're playing off playing August to December. You could yeah. do yeah. both. So yeah, That's yeah true. I think George is probably right. Play one more season at D's, go coach Collingwood and get a cushy media job and yeah. probably set herself up for for the next decade or so pretty well. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Michael for calling in and uh, thank you to everyone in the chat room. We'll see you again next week. Go demons. Go real legs. Come on, demon. Come on, demon. Come on, demon.